0: You remember American Pharaoh, don't you?
1: And here it is. The 37 year wait is over. American Pharaoh is finally the one. American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown.
0: Well, don't look now, but those connections are back with Salamini. We'll chat with Justin Zayat. Plus, the first Saturday of May is not just big for horse racing, it's big for another form of gambling, and that could have an impact on the future of horse racing. We'll have all that and more on this edition of In the Gate.
2: They're in the gate. They're in the gate. In the gate. They're in the gate.
1: It's a head bobbing finish!
0: This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well, which services the iTunes Store and TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. He's only won a single maiden race. But if you believe that the West Coast horses are the best group entering the Kentucky Derby, then you can't totally dismiss Salamini.
3: Solomini has to go four wide but right in contention they are coming towards the quarter pole and Bahamian shakes loose goes for home on the outside Solomini tries to come tracking down Bahamian's gone clear being chased home by Solomini it's a two horse race through the lane Bahamian hanging on Solomini chasing gamely Solomini's gaining stride for stride Solomini's got him with 50 to go and Solomini and Flavian Pratt to win going away
0: Salomini finished second to Bolt de Oro last summer at Del Mar, second to Good Magic in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, then crossed the wire first in the Los Alamitos Futurity last December before being placed third by disqualification against McKinsey and Instilled Regard, two horses that were in the derby field until very recently. And hey, Salomini has the same connections as Triple Crown winner American Pharoah, trainer Bob Baffert and owner Zayat Stables, and as we welcome back to Win the Gate Justin Zayat, who manages the family stable, it's good to chat with you again. So Salomini is safely in the Derby field, twelfth in points, but as we mentioned, he has only a single maiden win. So how do you assess his maturity as we reach the big day?
4: Well, one thing about Salomini is. Regardless of the outcome, the circumstances, whatever happens, the horse always shows up and runs a, a very good race. You know, he may not win every single race, but he a lot of the times that horse is always there at the finish line or, you know, always coming, keep coming at the finish line. So in terms of his, you know, overall performance from, you know, the start that we've had him, when we first had him with Bob, like we always thought he was a very nice horse. We always did, and when I sent him to Bob, he never really thought the horse was like ready to win first out. And then when he when he ran first out, he texted me he needs the race today. You know I like him. He's he's a, he's a nice horse, but he needs the the race today. All of a sudden, you know, the horse goes and <laughs> wins first out at at Del Mar. And you know, to us that day, he was only about seventy percent ready. So you know, Bob sent me, wow, that was pretty impressive. Once the horse started getting rolling our confidence all started going up and up with the horse. And we know based on his pedigree, you know, being a curling out of a storm cap mare, really the horse is only going to get better with age and distance. So, you know, as when he's doing it in August of his two-year-old year, you know, things were getting pretty exciting with him already. We started, you know, I could start dreaming a little. So after he does that, we run him back two turns for the first time. And he's going against both the Oro and the front runner. Bolt
3: Doro charges into the lead from Take the 101. They're followed by Salamini, well clear of Zatter and Encumbered, but Bolt Doro is forging clear. Bolt Doro treats his rivals to a comprehensive walloping in the front runner, scores by seven lengths.
4: And we actually had another horse in the race, also named Zatter, who actually just lost the Dumb or of the race before by a nose. So when Salamini ran that day, he was still, you know, a little goofy type of horse that he was, but he had such a wide trip and still finished second. I mean, Bolta Oro killed the whole field that day and won by, I think, seven. And we ran a very nice second, separating ourselves from the rest of the field. So, you know, I kept saying to myself, wow, what could this horse be? He's really improving. First out, he wins his maiden. Second time out, he runs second in a grade one to Bolta Oro. So we're we're getting excited about him. He's maturing and getting a little better every single race. It's funny because He was perfectly on his leads in the front runner. So, you know, we run him in the Breeders' Cup after after that, and we're coming into the Breeders' Cup, and I'm cautiously optimistic. I know, you know, we have Volta Oro doing really well. Kulmer had a a nice horse in the race that year, U.S. Navy flag, who actually was winning overseas stakes beforehand. And you had, you know, the Champagne winner, the runner-up in the Champagne, good magic at times. It was a pretty deep field. And, you know, once when Bob has a good 2-year-old, you know, they, they t- he tends to excel with them. So we were, we were optimistic about him the whole time.
3: Salomini now, Salomini gets the lead. Good magic, the maiden running a big one. And on the outside, Doro. he's caught very, very wide. Homeward bound and good magic gets the lead. And it's the maiden. Good magic looking, making the rest of them look like maidens. It's good magic. Absolutely drawing clear to win in scintillating style. Good magic is Jose Ortiz the win. Salomini was second. Voltaro had a settle for third.
4: When he ran in the Breeders' Cup, I thought he ran a huge race that day. We put him on the lead. He showed some early speed, which is, you know, something about Salomini, very interesting. He shows a different angle in every single one of his races. You know, from his first race, he was wide, and he was sitting off the pace. The front runner also, he was wide. He got in a lot of trouble, a little traffic trouble, and he ended up plugging it out. And the readers' Cup was different as we actually sent him to the lead, and He ran a very good race, you know, did a lot of the dirty work up front, put away some of the horses, and he turned for home. He gave me a big thrill, you know. We started opening up on the field a little, and good magic, you know, kind of sat the pocket trip right behind him and ran on by. But, you know, he still fought off and held off both to order on second. So that was a very, very encouraging performance. And, you know, after that, we thought maybe we lay him up for the rest of the year, you know, freshen him up for a nice uh, three-year-old campaign. The horse came out of the race, he was training really, really, really well. You know, his energy level was great, his weight was great, so you know, Bob asked us, What's your thoughts on running in uh the low South Futurity? So, you know, we we ran in that race. It was, Bob had a horse, McKinsey, who he told us we just broke his maiden, he ran a five on ragazes, a really fast number. We knew we had a very good horse who has the experience and just came out of the breeders' cup a second place finish, but we also know, you know, there was uh Jerry's horse and still regard and McKenzie. So we knew we were going in for a tough field, but you know, to get a grade one as a two-year-old for a son of curling would be substantial for you know is this a career in
1: Instilled regard McKenzie now these two step into it with Solomini still a major player on the outside three of them coming down the lane McKenzie McKenzie just the leader Instilled regard between runners Solomini there on the outside a three-way driving finish in the fraternity McKenzie Solomini Instilled regard Solomini Solomini wins the Los Alamitos cash call fraternity. McKinsey and still regard, battling second and third, a long way to the others. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. There has been a disqualification. The stewards have ruled that number three, Solomini, has been disqualified from first and placed third for causing interference to number one in stilled regard in the stretch. The new order of finish, first five, McKinsey, second one in stilled regard, Third, three, Solomini.
4: The horse ran a really good race. Once again, he showed a new dimension. He sat even further off the pace this time. Let the other two duel out, and he came wide. And you know, the one thing about Solomini, like he is a grinder. He fought them out, and despite all the bumping here and there from everyone, uh, we ended up winning the race by a length. To me, you know, it was total robbery. To take a horse when there's mutual bumping in every single direction of the race to take him down in such a grade one event like that, especially when he was to me much the best. So that was about his two year old year over there. We uh, freshened him up and brought him back into the rebel you know he ran a Well, hold on a second
0: race. before we get there. First of all, you may want to take a drink here. That's a lot of talking. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, the horse spiked a fever in January which interrupted his training a little bit. Is that why he ran the Rebel in Arkansas Derby since they run 1 week later than the preps in California?
4: No. By the way, I don't know why everyone made such a big deal of that because to us there was nothing. I mean, the horse missed 2 days from training. We were never in our minds, personally, and everyone had a discussion about Bob Running in the Bob Lewis, so I don't know, like, why everyone thought the horse was sick, missed all this time. That was that's a bunch of nonsense, honestly. I mean, the horse was fine the whole entire time. We freshened him up, and we kind of always had a plan to race him in March. There was never, you know, a plan. Was it was a possible, you know, based on who's going in the the race, we'll look at it. But it was never even close to decided that, you know, we would run the horse and when we were going to start working him back, he actually had a fever that week. So we just missed two days, but it wasn't, you know, the reason he didn't make the Robert Lewis. I don't think that was ever, you know, the original plan. We, in our minds, we already had so much seasoning. The horse ran so much as a two-year-old. He didn't really have to do that much besides, you know, running a good race as a three-year-old to really make it to the Derby. So to us, You know, it wasn't really, you know, we must make the Lewis and run through all those preps to qualify. You know, we basically knew the horse would be in if he just performed in the Rebel or the Arkansas Derby. So our plan, my dad and I and Bob the whole time was to run him in March. So that's how we got to the Rebel.
0: Well, considering that some horse named American Pharaoh also took the Arkansas route for <laughs> Ziat Stable and Bob Baffert, I guess we shouldn't be surprised and just this year Oaklawn erected a statue of American Pharaoh at the grandstand entrance, and his first crop of children is now a year old. They'll start running next year. What are you hearing about these yearlings? You know, their confirmation, temperament, that sort of thing.
4: So first to go back to The statue. I was actually at Oakland my first time this weekend since American Pharaoh's Rebel. It was my first time back, and I got to see the statue in person. And I got to tell you, it took my breath away the minute I saw it. I mean, not just saying that because it was American Pharaoh. I mean, the definition, how big it was, how many people go, the beauty of it, how how exact it was. You know, it literally got like every hair follicle of his was, you know, counted in there. So beautiful, beautiful statue. Such a great way to, you know, honor our champion. And, you know, we're very much appreciative. And, you know, Oakland for us holds a very special place in our heart. Not only. Did we have American Pharaoh who prepped there? We also had Bodie Meister. You know, he also won the Arkansas Derby on that track for us. So kind of the Oakland route for us has been a very lucky route, even just in regular races throughout the year. So, you know, we're very fond of it. The sellers do an unbelievable job there. The people down there love racing. So for us, you know, Oakland is the way to go. So when when we had to talk about putting Salomini on a plane to go to Oakland, it wasn't much of a conversation. You know, it was either going to run in the San Felipe, keep him at home, or run him in the Rebel and once you know McKinsey was going in there it was just you know for us to go back to the Rebel was it was a no-brainer and you know not only that the horses run so much in California we wanted to put him on a plane ship him get the experience and things like that that's how we decided on that race.
0: Justin Ziad, who manages his family's Zayat Stables, joins us here on In the Gate. They'll send out Salamini in the 144th Kentucky Derby. Now, Zayat Stables did not have a horse that earned any Kentucky Derby qualifying points in the two years between American Pharaoh in 2015 and Salamini now. I know when Orb won in 2013, he was just the seventh horse the Phipps family had ever run in the Kentucky Derby. And we're talking over a hundred years of operation. Clearly, the Kentucky Derby was not the be-all, end-all for them. How do you feel about it?
4: It is not the end-all, be-all for us either. It's one race out of, you know, uh, a 12-month year. You know, there's a lot of other important races, the Haskell, the Travers, and, you know, other big races that we could win. It's an honor to make the Kentucky Derby. I love to be in the Kentucky Derby. It's fun to be in the Kentucky Derby, but, you know, I'll never in my life sacrifice my horse to run in the Kentucky Derby. If I do not feel have a genuine chance to win the Derby. I don't care if my horse qualified. I'm not going to run him. You know, I'm not in this game right now just to have our name in the program and run in a big race. You know, we've been there. We've done that. You know, I've run second in the Kentucky Derby three times, and, you know, we got lucky with American Pharoah to, you know, get the whole thing. So, you know, I'm not at, you know, this stage in our career where we're looking just to be in the big races. You know, I just want to be in the big race. If I feel I have a chance, you know, to hit the border to win, to actually win the race. But, you know, so... For my horse, my horse needs to really earn it to be in the Kentucky Derby and, you know, show he's a contender, not a pretender. But we pride ourselves, of course, on our three-year-olds and our, and our Kentucky Derby record. So I'm not saying, you know, we don't aim for the Kentucky Derby. We certainly do aim for the Kentucky Derby. But it's my horse isn't going to make it or not doing well, there's very big, important graded races throughout the whole entire year, which are, you know, to us just as important.
0: Now, when Farrow won the Kentucky Derby en route to the Triple Crown, Baffert also had the third-place finisher in that derby, Dortmund. Farrow, of course, came in as the headliner that time for Zayat Stable. This year, Salamini is Baffert's understudy, since all of the attention is on the Santa Anita Derby winner, Justify. How different is that for you to come in under the radar a little bit?
4: Uh I would say it's not as exciting as owning a horse like Justify, you know. you <laughs> you thinking every single day of what could be with this horse. But to be back with a horse like Salomini, you know, it's an honor. Like I told you, it's fun. And we're going to only be in the race if we feel, you know, he's training up to speed and, you know, doing really, really well. So right now he's come out of his race great. He shipped back to California to Bob's home base at Santa Anita. We need to see exactly, you know, how he's doing, how his energy level is, how his weight is, all the things like that, you know, before I'm saying we're gun ho and ready to, ready to roll in the Kentucky Derby.
0: Your family's involved in grooming not just racehorses, but the next generation of people waiting to take my job, racing <laughs> journalists, too. The got <laughs> Scholarship at NYU funded 10 students starting in 2016 and again in 2017. What led your family to establish these scholarships?
4: First of all, my parents prided themselves on education. Our whole lives revolved around education when I was in school, and even though I was also managing side stables when I was in college, my dad always said to me, "You know, Justin, school comes first, horses come second. Take care of your education. I promise you, the horses aren't going anywhere." So, you know, that was always very important to our family. So, when the opportunity came along to do something like this and A, to help people, you know, who couldn't themselves afford, you know, education or, or scholarship like that so from for my parents you know they believe you know in the in the excellency of writing and journalism it was just kind of a a no-brainer to us we believe you know we need more journalists better journalists more you know honest media and things like that out there so you know we're just looking to groom you know the next generation and hopefully you know we're we're doing the right thing and then we get rewarded so will it be 10 every year or how's it going to work yeah, you know, we're working out the details, but, you know, right now we're looking at 10 every single year or something along those lines. It could increase over the time being. So right now we're working out the exact logistics with uh, schools and, you know, it may not only be NYU, it may extend to other schools in the future. This is more of like my mom's department who runs the foundation.
0: Now, with American Pharaoh, his derby win was anticipated. As we said, Salomini's coming in a little under the radar. So will there be any difference in how you approach that weekend, how much family will be there, and things you're going to do, and things like that?
4: To be honest, I have not thought of a single thing like that yet. You know, even though the derby's the first Saturday in May, us racing people always wait until the absolute last moment to make any decision yet. So, you know all these have yet to be determined as we see how the horse is training and things will start making more concrete plans. Obviously, you know, if we're we're all going, we're going to come with the whole posse like we always do. You know, we're the Zyatt Zyatt stables and just called Zyatt stables. It's really the whole Zyatt family. You know, every single person follows the races involved day to day. So they love what's going on, all my siblings. So, you know, of course we'll come out as a big family.
0: Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck, Justin Zayat of Zayat Stable. Thank you so much. And I'm still waiting for my Yarmulke from Jewish Heritage Day at the Haskell.
4: Come by the office any time and you'll get one.
0: We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate. But when we come back, the first Saturday of May is not just a big weekend for horse racing. It's a big weekend for another form of gambling that might have an impact on the future of horse racing. So don't go away. Welcome back to the In The Gate podcast. The first Saturday of May, of course, has a special ring for horse racing fans. But this year, the first Saturday of May has another meaning. It'll be the first weekend that you can play online poker across state lines. The World Series of Poker has informed its players that starting on May 1st, state-regulated poker sites will allow access for players in New Jersey, Nevada, and Delaware. If you live in one of those states you can play online poker that's based in either of the other two. It'll be just the same as it is now for betting on horse racing. As long as you're playing in a state that allows paramutual betting on horses, you can use any advanced deposit wagering site, no matter where that site is based. Previously, you could only play online poker in the state where you live, if that state had it. There are still only three states that have it, but if you live in one of them, you can play poker that originates in either of the other two. What does this mean for horse racing? Is more online gaming a good thing or a bad thing? And is there enough of the pie to go around? For that perspective, we welcome back to In The Gate online gambling reporter Steve Ruddock. Let's start with the short-term situation. Percentage-wise, how much of a boon do you think this pooling effect will have for poker?
2: Well, just from an additive perspective, it will basically double the amount of traffic. So if you're in New Jersey and you're playing on WSOP.com at the moment, there might be uh, just under 100 players on average playing at any given time throughout the day with peak traffic more around 300. Nevada is a little bit higher because WSOP.com is the only online poker provider in that state. So their traffic is just a touch bit higher, not too much because of the uh, population difference. So basically what you're seeing is those two pools of players will just be thrown together. So you're immediately just about more than double your average traffic and your peak traffic will go from about 300 to somewhere over 600.
0: Wow. Now, long term, is poker presumably headed for a day when many more states will join such a pool?
2: Yeah. So um, last October, Pennsylvania legalized online gambling poker included, they're expected to launch by the end of this year. Um, They're going to want to see that their internal systems work properly. But uh, the belief is that once their sites are launched and everything's running smoothly, that they'll quickly join into the uh, interstate agreement that's set up between the three other states.
0: Now, I believe that until this development, horse racing was the only sport you could play online across state lines. So which situation develops here? Online poker crowds out horse racing and diminishes its profits? Or does the rising tide raise all boats where having one antique dealer on a block means nothing, but having 10 of them helps everybody?
2: Yeah, so I I think you'll see a little bit of both. First, Delaware and Nevada have been pooling players for just over two years now. They've already been teamed together. As far as the two products having an impact on each other, the, the customer bases are pretty disconnected between the two. Not a ton of overlap between them. Uh, on, They both skew very highly male. But uh, online poker is a little bit younger demographic. So you're not really going to have any impact where you see horse racing revenues from ADW sites going down. Where it could get interesting is when you have operators that are doing both in the same jurisdiction. So uh, Betfair operates in the New Jersey online gaming market and obviously is a very big horse racing company. And then you have Churchill Downs, which recently bought a Pennsylvania casino to explore some online gaming opportunities there. So if you have those two companies trying to cross-sell to their existing poker players and horse racing customers, I think you'll get a little bit more of an overlap think that would be good for horse racing in the long run with online poker customers being a younger demographic and might infuse some new blood into the horse racing
0: online gambling reporter Steve Roddock joins us here on in the gate now along that same line we're not far away from the Supreme Court's ruling on sports gambling the expectation is that the high court will pave the way for sports gambling to become legal across the country depending on which report you read the amount of money wagered won't change because people are doing it anyway, just illegally, or the ruling will result in a new surge of wagering. Which do you think?
2: I would expect that there would be more wagering, but I don't know how accurate the current numbers for offshore wagering are. I mean, there's estimates between $50 billion wagered to $150 billion wagered every year, which is a huge gap. So it really depends on how much money is actually wagered offshore and how many new, new customers you can engage with in a legal regulated market. Are people more likely to start gambling, you know, $20 on a game if they can go to the casino and know that their money is safe and that this is on the up and up? So I, th- I think overall it will grow the pool, but by how much, who knows, because nobody knows where the pool is right now.
0: In a bigger picture, I mean, how do you think the Supreme Court ruling will affect existing online gaming, such as poker and horse racing?
2: Uh, again, a lot of the stuff, there's there's not too much of a crossover. There is some, and where you have that crossover, those people are doing all of them anyway. So it's not really a, a huge impact. Usually it's, it's the, as you said, the rising tide lifts all boats scenario. I mean, there was a huge concern in New Jersey with online gaming that it would cannibalize the land based casinos. But what they're finding is it's actually beneficial to the land based casinos. It's not only bringing in new customers, it's reactivating lapsed customers. And the customers that do gamble across multi channels, that are, you know, betting horses, playing poker, using slot machines, those people actually tend to start spending more when they have more op- outlets to gamble with.
0: Well, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You may remember that the horse racing folks were hit up by the fledgling networks in the 50s and said, we want to put your races on TV. And the racing operator said, oh, we don't want to do that. You're going to hurt our hot dog sales. So they went to the next door, which was the National Football League, which really was not a big deal at that point. And the NFL couldn't welcome TV fast enough. How did that work out? So... Yeah, it does not make inherent sense, intuitive sense, but it makes historical sense that if you allow people to play in their homes, you're not going to keep them out of the land-based casinos or the stadiums, as it were. You're going to bring them in. So it totally makes sense.
2: Yeah, there's, there's an engagement factor that's not often discounted, and that is exactly what we've seen with online gaming in New Jersey. Uh, there, there's people, most of the people that gamble online don't go to land-based casinos. It's a totally new crowd. And for the ones that do, it's not that they're going to gamble online instead of at the land-based casino. Rather, it's when they can't go to the casino, they have another opportunity to gamble. So maybe they're waiting to get, to catch a bus to go to work or whatever, or they're they're just they're sitting, they came home from work, and there's a half hour before the spouse comes home, and they gamble $20 on a slot machine. That's money the casinos otherwise would not have received.
0: Well, some of these stakeholders, none of whom really knows what's going to happen, are going to gamble correctly and make a lot of money, and others will not. And thank you, Steve Ruddick, for your perspective. This is going to get really interesting as this year rolls along.
2: Thanks for having me, Barry.
0: Our thanks to Steve Ruddock and to Justin Zayat. You've probably never watched a race from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, but that may change as a big event is planned. A mega-race like the Pegasus and the World Cup in Dubai may happen in February in the Saudi Kingdom's land. It would make a three-month sequence of massive race purses available, though I can't see horsemen running in all three. The Pegasus is unique, each stakeholder puts up a million dollars, but there would be no such Saudi buy-in fee. While I opposed some of the policies of the United Arab Emirates, their starting the World Cup was ostensible. It was part of a larger effort to grow the sport from the grassroots up, and while deep pocketed, their plan seemed sensible. The Saudi plan is a passive-aggressive shot at the Pegasus, and I hope to American horsemen that is clear. Do not support this initiative in place of one here at home, away from Saudi Arabia you should steer. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us on the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone that you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. Remember to join us for daily reports on the Kentucky Derby beginning next week. But for now, that's In the Gate. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.